April 26, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro Show.
Live from Pedro Show. Happy Monday, last Monday of the month. I uh, started with John Coltrane. Well, actually, it was Jimmy Garrison because we did uh, part two of Love Supreme Resolution. And as everybody knows, that starts with the bass. <laughs> then we had after that just the number two. That's the title. Luke Stewart works for Upright Bass and Amplifier 2. It's the second installment. And uh, people, Brother Matt, he said, I love Grotto on the pleasure point a couple miles south because we're still quick quarantine on board. But I am not totally man alone because those software engineers in Estonia with their Skype invention, I got with me Brother Luke Stewart. Welcome aboard, Luke. What's happening? What's happening? Well, that's so much for having Yeah, absolute. Uh, major bass. I love it. Love it. Uh, let's let's go through your journey in music, please, please. Your earliest musical recollection? Uh, playing music or just encountering music? Or... Yeah, yeah, encountering. Like, how did how far back does your memory go where you yeah can think of music? Man, uh, let's see. Well, I grew up in, and I, I was raised in the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and I remember driving with my mom, um, you know, to and from school, to and from her job and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, here she's a she's a child of Detroit. You know, she was born and raised in Detroit in the 60s, you know, classic Motown generation era. So it was a lot of Motown, but it was also, you know, she she's of the 80s soul generation. So it was a lot of Luther, you know, yeah, yeah. a lot of. A lot of Kenny G as well, smooth jazz type stuff. Um, but I, I also definitely specifically remember hearing a lot of on the radio, you know, the like Southern Soul Blues, you know, that uh, sort of like Malico Records type stuff. Yeah. Mark Keys, um, you know, Johnny Taylor, even that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, that that's what I remember hearing first. And also, you know, the church, you know, my mother was a, uh, raised me in the church, so gospel was uh, was early on for sure. Um, I was raised as an only child, so a lot of a lot of things that that I encountered were sort of through, I guess you can say, self exploration, yeah. as well as as well as the environmental discovery. Uh, so I, I definitely remember. When I was a little, little kid, uh, I wanted to play the saxophone because I liked the Pink Panther. And oh, yeah. I wanted to play the Pink Panther song on uh, on like a show and tell day at school. <laughs> so <laughs> Now, in the pad you grew up, was there musical instruments? Uh, not at first. At first, it was... Uh, it was just me and my mom in, in a smaller town in the, in the Mississippi Gulf Coast called Goshen, Mississippi. Yeah. Um, there were no instruments there. But then when we went, then when we moved to Ocean Springs, where I went to high school and stuff, we eventually got a piano um, that was kind of like donated from a family friend. Um, and my mother played piano. Um, she, she was musically inclined. She played violin in the orchestra in 
in Detroit and stuff. Um, but she gave up uh, after high school. But she all she was always musically inclined. Um, so we got the piano and she would um, practice piano. I would practice piano a little bit. Yeah, but did, also I was going to ask you: Did you jump on that piano? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Did you but get mostly, Did you get lessons? I did take some piano lessons when I was uh, much younger. Um, actually, my grandmother on my fa- my father's mother um, sort of was was the first person to show me piano. Uh, that I must have been like four or five years old, something like that. And how was um, the experience? Because some people have terrible piano lesson experiences. That's been on the show. <laughs> it's, if it's my grandmother, then it was you know she 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 was a loving, you know, caring grandmother that loves her grandson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different, different. So, so I remember looking at, uh, you know, she she was also a piano teacher. Um, so I. I recall going over there a couple of times uh, when it was when it was time to visit and she would, you know, show me some things on the piano. Um, Later on, uh, also in my early elementary school, I took a couple of piano lessons, uh, but nothing like super serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about school? What about school? Were you in the marching band or the choir? Well, you were singing in church, right? I was not singing in church, no. No? Oh, okay. No, no, no. That, that was where I was listening. Okay, okay. To the gospel and all that kind of stuff that was happening. But, yeah, when I when we moved to Ocean Springs, that was when I uh, first started sixth grade. And, uh, like, the first, first year of middle school. And it was a new school for me. And I wanted to play uh i wanted to be a pe <laughs> uh moving to a new 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 town new school all that kind of stuff i signed up for pe but it was all full oh. um so the only thing that was left over was band <laughs> oddly enough so i joined the the school band and um you know they do the thing where they try they try you out for the instruments and all that kind of stuff yeah would you would you end up with and so I, I ended up with saxophone. Ah, great! Well, alto, alto saxophone in the in the marching band in the in the car concert band. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it's, and it's down south, so it's uh, you know, like the the southern marching band tradition. So it was it was definitely that kind of experience more so than uh, you know, than anything else. Yeah, like a square thing. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Some showbiz. <laughs> yeah, it was showbiz, and and you know, we appreciated. I, I I also recall, you know, going to the Battle of the Bands and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, which is very much in that Southern marching band tradition. Grambling State, Jackson State, Alcorn, Mississippi Valley State. You know, they would have a. It would be a big event. Sure. Where, where it would be, you know, not not even a football game is happening. Just the the bands are coming out and playing. And those were great, but my school was not like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my school was a, you know, the thing, the thing about Mississippi <clears throat> is that uh, it's, it's still reeling. When I was there, it was still 
obviously reeling from his dark past yeah. in, uh, uh, in racism. So what you have in Mississippi are counties and towns that are either, you know, 90%, 90, 100% black or 90 to 100% white. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the Gulf Coast is a little bit different in that demographic where I'm from. Um, but still, it was a majority, like the culture of that, that I'll say, black marching band tradition in the South wasn't present in my school. Yeah. So it was, we played like Disney songs. <laughs> <laughs> Square John. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah. How, how long do you stick with the sack? How do you, how do you make the move to the bass? Well, so saxophone, I started getting pretty serious about it. I'll say like senior year of high school. Yeah. Um, just because I was sort of at the point where um, I was, I had, I had been listening to jazz and a lot of weird music and been in bands by that time. Yep. Um, but I saw saxophone in the context of Mississippi as being a, a distinctive, a way of distinction, you know, outside of the context of like marching band, outside of school, essentially. Um, because a lot of my friends also played like guitar and, and bass guitar. There were no upright basses to be seen or found or like there was no possibility of me like interacting with that at all. Um, when I was in Mississippi, um, well, what about what about uh the bone or a sousaphone or that's bass clef? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I did um I for I'll say early on in my high school marching band stint, I did play. That there was a moment where I played tuba. So yeah, that did happen. Okay. <laughs> I also played baritone saxophone in the concert band um eventually i played like like i said I, I got pretty serious on saxophone so i had the opportunity to actually play all of them um all the way up through like college because what by the time i was in college yeah or graduated at least i was playing in like the saxophone quartet and uh you know very very much like the classical new music approach, so to speak, for, for saxophone. Okay, okay. I, I want to play this. Uh, I guess if the first song I played was number two, I got to play number one. Thank <laughs> you. 
hear about the relentless semiotics device it drives always rides sometimes it grains dwelling ineptitude just to pound and flail or what else now again tomorrow probable riff seemingly intended for bpm's reprise commanding dandy demanding candy foiled by sidereal mimicry we have giant eye chugs just pouring into tiny glasses Uncocked smoke jogs a muck. Don't ask too much of the earth, or else you'll get pseudo gumption from household products. Savory sonic scraped fragrant sparkles, riding the back of a feed where spies are mise en proof through polarizing knolls at the O Run Canceller. You know it's astronomy for the migraine. Visuals are dwindling meniscus growing on rocks. They spike the hang, stray from the herd. Some cursive defloration of mirth gibber, unearthed only to recapture itself mined from yesterday. The yen and when, my friend. It was an audio delight upon which to stumble. Had been enjoying for some months now, and being long bored with the band, I'm delighted by original spreading of musical infection. Hold the line in the sand, powerful music, a benchmark by which all should be held accountable. Yet since others would rather drain daddy's pandering bubblegum, swilled from his spoiled and ill-informed progeny, only those seeking greater good through true gratification will be able to find it on their own. Birthing this wonderful gem, ah, unfestine sagittal, Roaring up from the mountains, coming down in a douchebag avalanche to touch the world. But lucky surfers may enjoy with their next double click heartfelt but mock chamber music interlaced with Lucky Charms marshmallows to tickle your ear holes. Any single track combines elements of trope plied by bungling varieties of years pouring on top of it. Some little niche from astronomy, you don't want to know where it came. You don't care where it went, but some diaphanous pulverization ritual grinds out angular mind strokers. It's a sound check while waiting for the drummer, yo. Ziffy dunk super goggle. We're going to do this attacking in Blunderland. Oh, I don't know what to tell you except admitting nothing. Instead, pummeling the air with funky little nothings, wrenched from rhythm and chance. Kind of like incendiary chlorophyll, if you know what I mean. 
I get an auto-reverse mohawk anytime I'm in mid-conversation, digging another quirk rock nugget from the vastness of possibility. We play like this as few else seem apable. Capable? Well, I wonder, you know. It's a cosmic dwindling of groaning rock. Sometimes it's backward into unrelenting currents. Wet hooks, phosphorescent boulders eddying from whisper to deepest null space, the sweetest gravity of a juicy groove, all oh, it poured right on top of the space that we left for it. It was a blunt force cuddling blues, you know. It was hard but love. The closest we ever get to the blues, except for maybe when endless concubines rut.
show that was number one from luke stewart solo bass guitar the bass guitar so so i'm, I'm still uh uh yeah i want to know how y y it sounds like you're making a lot of progress with the saxophone yeah and so when does the bass come in <clears throat> okay so I, I first started playing the bass guitar when I was 13, I had been playing the saxophones, you know, in school for the marching band um, and for throughout middle school and basically the summer between middle school and high school, I started playing the bass guitar. And um, I guess that that initially came about because I had a friend who had been playing um, electric guitar for, you know, a few years and he was he was already like pretty good at it. And we were we were friends, and he was talking about like starting a band. Yeah, and you should play the bass. Yeah, and I was like, cool. I, I I've been interested in doing that anyway. Or, or actually, I I wanted to play guitar first, and and I actually did. Uh, I was able to get like a hundred dollar acoustic guitar, and uh, I took a couple of lessons on acoustic guitar. That was also the same time that my mom, um, you know, seeing my interest in music, uh, decided to get back into music as well. So she bought a violin for herself, but she didn't ever play it. So I got to mess around with it a, a couple of times. But, you know, I, I, I never had the opportunity to take the violin seriously just because there was no outlet for it. There was no orchestra. Um you know, the, the one, my guitar, the guitar, the guy that I was taking guitar lessons with for like, you know, maybe two months, uh, also showed me some things on the violin, but he wasn't a, a violin player. So, um, yeah, yeah, right. They're in fifths, right? They're tuning fifths, big, big jumps between the string. Well, how'd you find the difference between a horn and a string thing? Well, I'll say, I'll say the biggest difference was that for the horn for the saxophone it was in school okay it was arching band it was like you know this band director yelling at me <laughs> you know it was, it was like the band nerds it was the whole thing okay whereas, whereas playing the guitar and the bass guitar was like self-discovery in music yeah. you know out school more and, and a way of of connecting and hanging Sure, sure, sure. Completely different worlds. So that, so that's how it was yeah. for me, in that regard. 
And what was your first bass guitar? I'm a little prejudiced towards yeah, bass. It was a Fender. <laughs> yeah, of course, it, okay. of course, it was a it was a green Fender Squire bass. Okay, Squire's and, ain't too bad. Some of those yeah. I played are really good. Yeah, and and I remember it had a had a high action. Oh like, yeah, the guy. The guy, the guy <laughs> Man, was like, mine was, was like my bass action. The action was so bad that you could stick your hand between the strings and the frets. <laughs> But I re but I definitely specifically remember uh, appreciating that because I I figured that would help me get strong hands. That's so, right. That's uh, right. That's right. So so that's what I played throughout uh, high school was that green Fender Squire bass. And what about so, what about amplifier? Um, it was like a a little. Uh, it was the PV combo. I forget exactly which model, but it was the small one. You know, PV's from Mississippi. From Meridian, Mississippi. That's yeah. right. I've been to the factory. Okay. My first big, <laughs> uh, like, a big amp, like I had two 15s and it was 300 watts, was a PV. I think it was called the 400. So, did you, you and your buddy was playing guitar. Did you guys end up making that band? Did you do any gigs? We did. We we did not end up making that band. I think we, like, kind of went separate ways. We, we jammed a couple of times, but I think musically we were into different things okay I'll, I'll say i'll say he he was the one that introduced me to to, to still today two of my favorite bases which is les claypool oh yeah prime sure he, he primus and he introduced me to square pusher oh yeah you know who uh you know who really digs him is flea flea turned me yeah. on to square pusher yeah, he's amazing. Like as a bass player, uh, like let alone the the crazy electronic stuff or whatever. But yeah, he's <laughs> phenomenal, you know. So, but but I also appreciated him because of the electronic stuff, because I was also interested in that as well. And and I guess in my mind, somehow, early on, I kind of like had it in my mind that that I wanted to do something similar. So I was also interested in um, in electronic music. I, I got like pirated versions of, uh, you know, Fruity Loops and Reason because that that's that was this, the era that I'm from. <laughs> okay. Um, also, also, but, he's kind of a one man band. Exactly. So I, I was very enamored by the one man band thing, uh, in terms of uh, the possibilities of of electronic music. Um, so you know, obviously from Square Pusher went to like Apex Twin. And, you know, a lot of a lot of different late I, I would follow labels, you know, so like Warp Records, Reflex Records, Planet Mew, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, from from Europe. I was super into. Um, but then also I was super into like Primus and uh, and well, the Minutemen. Well, you and, know, uh, you, you get into the stand up bass, which is kind of like a giant violin without the chin part. It's true. Well, how'd true that, that happen? How'd that happen? So that came about when I moved to DC um, in in 2000. I started playing. I moved to DC in 2005, uh, shortly after Hurricane Katrina. Um, I was in college, and I was studying international studies. And I had set up an internship for myself in Washington DC, sort of following that international studies track or whatever. And it was the same time. It was around the same time that Hurricane Katrina happened. Um, so I came to D.C. for the internship. Um, 
And then I eventually transferred to American University in 2006. Um, and that's where I first had the opportunity to, to yeah, interact with an upright bass uh, in a real way. <clears throat> and uh, it came about because I, I was still a saxophone player and a bass guitar player. And um, I was in the jazz band. Uh, it was my first time being in like proper jazz band um, at, at American University. And the the director used to have jam sessions with the students. And one day I just brought in my bass guitar and instead of my saxophone. And that was the first time he, had, he knew that I played bass at all. So I played and he was like, oh, man, you should be playing upright. And so I was like, cool. And so he, the, the school had, you know, an upright bass that nobody was using. And so I was able to basically make it my instrument for the, for the duration that I was there. Um, well, we got to give that, we got to give that cat credit. Who was that professor? His name, his name is Dr. Will Smith. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Smith, because that, that that's a big changer. Uh, and then, you know, those costs little bit of coin you know so to get to use one like that's fucking happening yeah yeah i mean you know between saxophone and upright bass i, I pick you know two of the most expensive instruments <laughs> you know so but you know the 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 upright bass thing um i uh i was able to to uh he he was very much connected in the, with the with the you know the incredible jazz community of Washington, D.C., the, 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 the legacy of it even, and the, the historical significance of it, the whole thing. So um, in playing the bass, um, I was able to connect with that community and with that legacy and tradition uh, in, in Washington, D.C., um, connecting with various bass players here. Um, I, I, early on, I, I took a, a few lessons with... Um, a guy by the name of Herman Bernie, he was he was a a, a major influence, uh, very in in like me learning how to play the bass. Um, I also took lessons with Steve Novosel, who was a bass player with uh, Rasan Roland Kirk. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is is his work on Inflated Tear. Yeah. Uh, I also took lessons with. Um, uh, um, e from Norfolk. Uh, he got my bowing together. He showed me some things on the bow. Um, some Arco. You know, yeah, yeah, Arco stuff. And, you know, a, a lot of other, you know, informal situations like that with the elders. Butch Warren. It's really um, important that kind of connect. Yeah, yeah. But, and yeah, but Butch Warren was, was a, a very influential person in terms of getting like jazz experience yeah uh, he he used to play every every tuesday and sometimes on sunday every sunday and tuesday usually at a place called columbia station in dc which i've described as it's like if you want to know what jazz is what jazz really is it's embodied in a place like columbia station which is, you know, there's, there's no, there's hardly anybody there. It's a bar 
it's kind of smelly and there's a bunch of old guys playing some old jazz tunes and it's super deep and it's like touching but melancholy in that jazz way but also you know endearing in that way so like it had the it had that that kind of vibe in general jazz and cocktails you know lush life that kind of vibe (laughs) you know (laughs) <laughs> I know, man. Uh, look, we're at, yeah. the end of the, we're at the end of the first hour, April 26, 2021, edition Watt Peter Show. Special guest, Luke Stewart. Hold tight for hour two. April 26, 2021, it's the second hour of the Watt Peter Show.
time in an instant in the crowd I heard footsteps familiar time of a heel step on your face I saw worry and of course I was in a hurry to get away Just where to be going That is what I'd like to know And I don't mean To be
and I go on mess about all my pain. Said that I'm the son of Cain, the blackest of all the rain. Change is never gonna come if I keep praying the same. Birth the blackest part of Africa, never will I be tamed. Kill Tarzan and Jane and rocking the lion's mane. See lanes, they must refrain from going in with the pain. It's a natural part of my whole sabbatical. Spiritually stay radical. Kill my father, but now I'm coming back for you. Beautiful when the instrument conversate with the infinite drumming. Beyond the genesis, darker waters you swimming in, living in dying times. Carefully place the rhymes, somewhere beyond the signs, somewhere deep in the mind. It's a hardcore, we break down floors and stop your feet two floors. You do not want the end to be in more. The seas ain't sure that everything is peace, not war. See the black anger and get that we need more. The reasons for the words no longer beat these walls. I beef in bronze, live in the world that don't see long. See my guy, I was meant to be so I free my mind and leave my people on this rise. It's a dark star, a part of me, but what you pick a lot of me, heavenly body side of me. I feel that gold. It's the spirit of the valley. We taking it back to how we see living man suicide me. You feel that soul. historic celebration of of the music but it's different i'll say you know it's not it wasn't the i'll say the the music that i was that i was you know being super inspired by at the time right. you know which was which was you know every everybody from miles to sunra to ornette to, to coltrane all that kind of stuff yeah. i didn't interact i didn't get to interact with that tradition until i got to dc and yeah. and that's when and that was when I first encountered somebody playing the bass in that style, and yeah. and just being mes- being mesmerized by, you know, just the idea of, of walking the bass. Right, right. Just, Paul Chambers. So yeah, it was just so insane to me. Yeah. It was like how are you th- you thinking that fast? And then 
also yeah. thinking about all these different things that you have to do in order to make that happen. Like, it, it was just, but I always felt like jazz was just so above me. Like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never get there musically. But then once, uh, basically, I, once, once I found myself sort of like invited into the community, it, it, be, it was an encouragement, you know, in, in order to, to really practice hard and listen hard, which is, which is, which I found, uh, was, was probably even more important. What, one of the most important things about music is listening Absolutely. to as much as, as you can. Also, you say uh, encourage, you know, that's an important word because maybe, maybe not so much where you were at some, but it seems like with the fusion people, there's a lot of cutting, right? It's almost like sports. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely the sport element to it, you know. At, <laughs> but that ain't too encouraging. <laughs> there's definitely the sports element to it. There's definitely the fraternity element to it. You know, all of that kind of stuff is in there, for sure. The, the initiate, um, the adept, the yeah, who knocking on the door, now, who gets to come in. And 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 the thing that I that I that I always cherish about DC versus some, you know some of the other jazz communities that I've encountered more specific, most specifically New York, uh, the, the academic side of New York, because New York has a lot of different sides, sure. but I'll, I'll say that in terms of jazz for Washington, DC, it's still being learned and passed down in the old way where you got to go out and to the jam sessions or to the gig and connect with the elders and, you know, go hang out at their house and, you know, play with them and listen to their stories and learn the tunes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas, whereas in a lot of other places is so academically driven to where the, the institutions, the educational institutions determine the opportunities and also determine the communities. You know, there, there are different, uh, you know, schools that when they get to New York, you know, the, the community is already set up for them. Like if you went to such and such school, there might even be like, like I've heard about and have encountered people who, you know, went to such and such school and there's a whole building full of people that went to such and such school and are now in New York doing their thing. And they're like all connected and interacting yeah. with each other and, playing on each other's gigs and like, and then that translates into, of course, the business, sure. the record industry, the, that side of it, you know? So, so that's where, that's where you get the, you know, a lot of the, I'll say the mainstream jazz movements are like the commercial music movements out of these, from, from these sort of school clicks. And also um, <clears throat> to a, to a certain extent, also the, the movements within, uh, we'll say, the art musics, the the ones that get grants and uh, all these sorts of things. You know, it's it, it's all it's it's interesting to see the differences in communities that are academically driven, institution driven, right. versus the communities that are community driven, yeah. grassroots driven. Kind so of like a Grand Canyon in between them. Somebody told me that about Berkeley School of Music. It's about the connects. 
Exactly. <laughs> well, I want to play uh, Homeless Global. Right on.
search of new bodies, we leave ourselves at home. Plug into the network, socialize as a clone. Nobody wants to be who they are. Energized by fantasy. Wonderland filled with rabbit holes of illusion.
They say freedom is just down the road. They say freedom down the road if we could just hold on. Just hold on, freedom down the road. to go.
one remembers. Right now.
Watch for Pedro Show. Homeless Global. That's from Irreversible Entanglements, yeah. uh, which is probably a project of yours, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's Irreversible Entanglements with uh, Kamea Yewa, also known as More Mother, yeah. who's the poet. Uh, Kier Duringer on alto saxophone, Chisere Holmes on drums, and Aquilas Navarro on trumpet. Um, the, the drummer and the trumpet player also have a fantastic duo record that came out recently called Heritage of the Invisible, yeah. part two. Um, also on the same label that put out the Homeless Global and the rest of the Irreversible Entanglements material, uh, International Anthem. Yeah, really happening. Odd after that with plasmic scissorry, and then Astro Nation, Blacksmiths. You gave me a few tunes. Mm. What what projects is mm-hmm. Blacksmiths? Blacksmiths is a duo project of myself and drummer Warren Trey Crudup the third. Um, we we used to live together uh, in in Washington D.C., and that's kind of how the band came together. Um, the the material that you're hearing is is all live like there there's no overdubs or anything yeah um it's all it's all you know just just straight up and yeah it's a it's an exploration of of you know that kind of setup that sound and also the the themes of of the the song titles you know we're talking about uh the things that made us so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So like a little autobiography. Uh, not necessarily autobiographical. Oh, okay. But more like, more, more like, more like referential, you know, uh, subtle, subtle references to certain things. Oh, okay. So, so I think, I think I sent you, um, Mammy's revenge. Yeah. That, we're going to play that next hour. I sent you Northern Confederate. Right. Both of those. Uh, and we just heard Astro Nation. Oh, right on, right on. Astro Nation is is a is actually a a cover, uh, a cover song of Sunrise Astro Nation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interpretation. Interpretation, yeah, of, of, of a very particular version of of that of that song. It, it was recorded and released, I think, maybe two or three times on, on various albums. But this particular version um, that, that I, that I was interpreting uh, is, is from uh, unreleased material that uh, a very close friend of mine, Dr. Thomas Stanley uh, unearthed at the uh, Sun Ra archives at the experimental sound studio in Chicago. That's, that's where one of the archives uh, is they're so they're they're in several different places, but uh, that's where one of them is. <clears throat> I read and, the uh, John Swed book on space is the place. Incredible story yeah, yeah. about M- Mr. Blount. I mean, incredible Ab- inspiration. Absolutely. One time, me and Pettibone ended up in a conga line. <laughs> we were all mm. bourboned up with, and uh, he was doing a trippy version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and I don't know how nice. it happened, but. <laughs> Yeah, he's in, his music just and 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 also his idea of community, right? He would take absolutely. cats right off the street and get them in the band. Oh, absolutely, and it's and it's funny because you know you, you go to you know to 
towns that are, you know, mid to large sized towns all across the country. Yeah, and, and oftentimes you'll find somebody that played with Sun Ra, usually in the eighties. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> like right. You know, but but like you'll you'll encounter, uh, you know, th- this is happening to me on tour where you know, like this guy played with Sun Ra, or, <laughs> or somebody will come, come up to me and be like, "Yeah, man, I played with Sun Ra in the eighties, you know." <laughs> and about you know, all Marshall Allen. Ronnie Boykin, yeah, exactly. Ronnie Boykin, his bass man was uh, writing a lot of the songs. I just covered one a, a, a little more than a year ago. We're, we're at right. the end of the second hour, April 26, 2021 edition. Watt Pedro Show special guest, Luke Stewart. Hold tight for hour three. April 26, 20, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt Pedro Show. So my new 
is limitless and yet so mute beyond the vault of velvet night past stars so bright and deepest dark a treasure trove this solo heart
story the story is also is complicated, you know, and in turn in terms of the 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 conservatization, the corporatization of jazz in, in in industry terms, because this isn't that this is an industry conversation in terms of the way that people perceive jazz and thus improvised music or any other underground music in general of that form. You know, because yeah. What happens, <clears throat> what happens basically is that uh, the the industry sort of, you know, in, in the way that in, that industries work in, in, these con- in this country is that it, it starts to define the overall perception of what the thing is. And so in, in the 80s, when the corporatization of jazz happened, and this is what some elders have told me, um, you know, var- various pers- perspectives on it. But I'll, I'll recount one perspective about Lincoln Center uh, in the context of a, of a very recently departed elder by the name of Bill Brower uh, here in Washington, D.C. Um, he wrote he wrote a lot of people might know him from liner notes that he may have written uh, or that he did write uh, from albums back in the late 70s early 80s and throughout um for he, he wrote for like black saint um soul note some of those labels um and was very much a producer type of person but he was also part of the team that started jazz at lincoln center and what he said about the the start of it at least is that the paradigm for jazz in general before jazz and Lincoln Center was that in this was the seventies in New York when a lot of jazz clubs had closed and a lot of, there were a lot of jazz musicians, you know, masterful jazz musicians who were still alive from that old era, you know, people like Philly Joe Jones, people like, you know, people like Art Blakey, you know, and, and even older than him, you know what I'm saying? That, that were out of work, out of work, out of relevance, yeah, out terrible. of, you know, there was no concern. Like the, it was like the, the culture had moved on. So when Jazz and Lincoln Center started, it gave those people the recognition, some of the recognition and some of the gigs that, that weren't available whatsoever before. And and uh, and ultimately, the the way jazz had had all continues to be, even to this day, with its hyper institutionalization, jazz there there still wasn't enough money for for jazz. Like they spent all this money on opera and orchestral music and what have you, and then they had a little bit of money set aside for jazz. And with that little bit of money, they were only able to get to so many people. So that's one explanation of the whole thing. Yeah. And then once, but then once the corporate the corporatization came into it, and the championing of, you know, a Wynton Marsalis, for instance, and the and the the overall discourse that was going on around the music about what jazz is and what jazz is not. That's when it got crazy. That's when, that's that's when, that's when the music 
became associated with this clean cut conservative, yeah, you know, very dogmatic perception of what jazz is and what jazz and, and, and ultimately what they're saying is what music and what musician is valid and who is not. Yeah, jive. Fucking jive. Here, I want to play this uh, brown and gray from your Luke Stewart exposure quintet. And on.
昔々あるところにおじいさんとおばあさんが暮らしていましたある日おじいさんが畑仕事をしていると裏山から一匹のタヌキがやってきておじいさんが丹精した畑を荒らした上石ころをおじいさんに投げつけました。怒って追いかけると素早く逃げていきましたが、しばらくするとまたやってきて悪さを繰り返しましたので、切り株に鳥餅を塗って狸を捕まえました。おじいさんは狸の足を縛って、うちへ担いで帰りました。そして天井の針に吊るしておばあさんにたぬき汁をこしらえるよう言いつけてまた畑へ出て行きました。たぬきがぶら下げられている下でおばあさんは薄を出して餅をつき始めました。しばらくしておばあさんがくたびれたので休んでいると吊るされているタヌキがお手伝いしましょうと申し出ましたおばあさんがタヌキの縄を解いてやるとたちまち脳天からきねを打ち下ろして殴り殺してしまいましたそしてタヌキは早速、ババア汁をこしらえて、自分はおばあさんに化けて、すました顔をして、炉の前でおじいさんの帰りを待ちました。夕方になって、何にも知らないおじいさんは、
たぬき汁を食べるのを楽しみにしながら帰ってきました。おばあさんに化けたたぬきは、おかえりなさい。たぬき汁がおいしくできていますよ、と言いました。おじいさんはお膳の前に座り、たぬきのおばあさんの給仕で、おいしい、おいしいと舌包みを打って、ババア汁を夢中になって食べました。おかわりもしました。それを見て、たぬきのおばあさんは、ババア食ったじじい、流しの下の骨を見ろ、と言いながら、大きな尻尾を出して、裏口から逃げていきました。おじいさんは、びっくりして腰を抜かしてしまいました。そして、流しの下にあったおばあさんの骨を抱えて、おいおい泣いていました。すると、おじいさん、おじいさん、どうしたのです、と言って、裏山にいる白うさぎが入ってきました。おじいさんは泣きながら、すっかり訳を話しました。うさぎは大層気の毒があって、私に任せてください。明日、タヌキを誘い出して、ひどい目に合わせてやります。と言って、帰っていきました。さて、タヌキは、おじいさんの家を逃げ出してから、なんだか怖いものですから、どこへも行かずに、ずっと穴に引っ込んでいました。ある日、タヌキが隠れている穴の近くで、釜で芝を刈っていました。そして、芝刈りをしながら持ってきた勝ち栗をバリバリ食べました。すると、タヌキはその音を聞きつけて穴から出てきて、うさぎさん、そのうまそうな栗の実を少し私にくれませんかと言いました。あげるからこの芝を半分向こうの山まで背負って行っておくれと言いました。タヌキは芝を背負ってずんずん山に向かって歩き出しました。後ろを振り返りもせずせっせと歩いていきました。その隙に、うさぎは、懐から火打ち石を出して、カチカチカチ、カチカチカチ、と火を切りました。うさぎさん、うさぎさん、カチカチ言うのは何だろう。この山はカチカチ山だからさ。ああ、そうか、と言って、タヌキはまた歩き出しました。そのうちに火がタヌキの背中の芝に移ってボーボー燃え出しました。うさぎさん、うさぎさん、ボーボー言うのは何だろう。この山はボーボー山だからさ。ああ、そうか、とタヌキが言ううちに。火は背中にずんずん燃え広がってしまいました。いやあ、暑い
と叫びながら夢中で駆け出しましたから山風が引きつけて余計に火が大きくなりました。タヌキはひいひい鳴き声を上げて苦しがって転げ回ってやっとのことで燃える芝を振り落として穴の中に駆け込みました。うさぎはわざと大きな声で大変だ、火事だ、火事だと言いながら帰っていきました。その明くる日、うさぎは唐辛子味噌をこしらえ、それを持ってタヌキのところにお見舞いに行きました。タヌキさん、タヌキさん、昨日は本当にひどい目にあったね。ああ、本当にひどい目にあったよ。この大やけどはどうしたら治るだろう。たぬきさんがあんまり気の毒だから、やけどに効く公約をこしらえて持ってきました。それはありがたい。早速塗ってもらおう。そう言って、タヌキが水ぶくれになってただれた背中を出すとウサギはその上に唐辛子味噌をコテコテ塗りつけましたすると背中はまた火がついたように熱くなってタヌキは痛い痛い痛いと言いながら穴の中を転げ回っていましたうさぎはそれを見てニコニコしながら、たぬきさんヒリヒリするのは初めのうちだけです。じきに収まるから少しの間我慢してください。と言って帰っていきました。しばらくたったある日、うさぎは今度はたぬきを海に連れ出して、ひどい目に合わせてやろうと考えていたところへ、ひょっこりとタヌキが訪ねてきました。おや、タヌキさん、やけどの具合はいかがですかおかげでずいぶんよくなったよ。では、海へ魚を取りに行きませんかと、うさぎはタヌキを誘いました。それは面白そうだ。行こう、行こう。そして、うさぎとタヌキは連れ立って海へ出かけました。うさぎが木の船をこしらえると、タヌキは真似をして土で船をこしらえました。そして、それぞれ別々に船を漕いで沖へ出ました。いいお天気だね。いい景色だね。と天然に言いながら海を眺めていました。少ししてウサギはこの辺りにはまだ魚はいないからもっと沖の方へ行こう。さあ、
どっちが早いか競争しようと言いました。それは面白そうだとタヌキが答えました。一、二、三と掛け声を出してこぎ出しました。うさぎはカンカン船端を叩いて木の船は軽くて早いと言いました。すると、タヌキも船端をコンコン叩いて、土の船は重くて丈夫だと言いました。そのうちに、だんだん水が染みてきて、土の船は崩れ出しました。大変だ、船が壊れてきた。とタヌキは大騒ぎを始めました。沈む、沈む、助けてくれ。うさぎはタヌキの慌てる様子を面白そうに眺めながら、ざまあみろ、おばあさんを騙して、殺して、おじいさんに、ババア汁を食わせた報いだと言いますと、タヌキはもうそんなことは決してしないから助けてくれとウサギを拝みました。そのうちにもどんどん船は崩れて、アップアップ言う間もなく、タヌキは海の底へ沈んでいきました。こうして、おばあさんの敵を撃ったうさぎは、おじいさんと一緒におばあさんのお墓に手を合わせ、おばあさんの冥福を祈りました。
Lord, she loves me. Then packed up and split. No way to make a comeback, and everywhere the fucking world is bare. Right on white. Forensic. 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 Lost, you done left me. Backed up the split. And I, with no way to make a comeback, and everywhere the world is bare, bright bone white, crystal sand glistens, dope death dead dying, driving, 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 go, driving, 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 and diving, four, and six, six, four, 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 and six, report, dope death dying, and jiving, 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 Take her laughter, ha! laughter, and her smiles. Sick her laughter and her smile. Her softness and her smiles, her midnight sighs. Her jiving drove away, her made her laughter and her smiles and her smiles and her smiles. Her softness and her midnight sighs. Fuck and sick, 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 f
Just want my woman back, so my soul, so my soul, so my soul can sing, so my soul can sing, so my soul can sing, so my soul can sing. sing. 
Exactly. Well, for Pedro Show, that was Luke Stewart Exposure Quintet with Brian Gray. Then we had a few with Kachi Kachiyama. And then finally, Heroes Gang Leaders Forensic Report. What do you got going right now, Luke? Man, right now, um, just wor- I'm working on quite a number of releases coming out um, this year. Uh, just recently, uh, I <clears throat> so full disclosure. I'm currently in Washington, D.C., but I I also am in uh, Brooklyn, New York, in uh, in Red Hook, and so and that I'm I'm part of you know you could say that I'm part of two cities communities, but I, I like to think of the entire East Coast as one big city between Washington, D.C. and New York City. Um, I, I see it I kind of see it now as one big city. Like I'm, I'm in the southern district of the East Coast megalopolis. Uh, <laughs> Can I ask you about Brooklyn? Something with the uh, Caesar's Palace. Yeah, yeah. Right, that, Jason. Where, yeah, yeah. Well, we we recorded with Jason Lafarge at um, at Caesar's Palace for the the first Irreversible Entanglements record. Um, I I also recorded uh, the the record Tria. Uh, from the band Trio Trio that also features uh, a very, very dear uh, friend and elder who also recently passed away, uh, Aaron Martin Jr. He was a very, very influential person, not just to me, but to the entire uh, Washington, D.C. jazz and experimental communities and, and otherwise. Uh, very, he, very, very much a, a powerful, powerful presence. Yeah, um, I'm so sorry. But we... We recorded uh, our band Trio Trio at uh, Caesar's Palace. Uh, the name of that record is called Days to Be Told, and it's a it's a fantastic document of his playing. You think for the, sure. you think the internet helped make it like a big East Coast it get, brings uh, towns together in some way? I think so, but also I I think there's there's also there's always been, and for just from what I've heard from elders and from up. Uh, otherwise, there's there's always been a steady uh, flux b- between D.C., Philly, Baltimore, and New York. I ninety five. I ninety five. I ninety five all day live. You know, <laughs> all the way live. So uh, you know, it's a uh, and, and even contemporary in contemporary times. You know, when I'm in D.C., I see so many fucking people. I'm excuse me. No, it's <laughs> I see okay. so many people. It's cool. From um, I see so many people from New York. They're like, "Yeah, I'm down here for work," you know. Uh, and, and then I go to to New York, and same thing. It's like, "Yeah, I'm from DC. I'm here for work or whatever," you know. So I I don't see it as that big of a deal. No oh, dynamic. You know, where where can people a, find you on the internet? Uh, in a few places. Uh, my Bandcamp, Bandcamp.com. I mean, bandcamp.lukestewart.com, my website, thelukestewart.com, Instagram, at take a look around. Uh, and then I, I have a lot of other music scattered throughout 
Bandcamp on sure. several projects. I have to work on con- consolidating all of that, but right, uh, you, if you, you could, you, yeah, you got Website more, or, you got more releases Discord. coming out, right? So yeah, when, when these come out, will you come back on the show? And we can talk about them now that we cleared up all your past and your background. <laughs> I would like to really, because you 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 do a lot of different projects. I dig it. Yeah, man, it's a it's a whole lot, man, and you know, always down to to chat more, and you know, would would love to to hear your thoughts as well. You know, absolute, absolute, get, in, get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for being aboard, though, for this introductory spiel. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Luke. People, it's been the April 26, 2021 edition of Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.